Okay, so uh, so so we want to move into our our big kid uh, reflection time, and uh, and I want to throw two scenarios at you, and and then as we uh, consider the scenarios, uh, there'll be a couple of opportunities for you to engage and let us know what you are thinking at home. Uh, first scenario, uh, you're at a restaurant. Uh, we'll just pretend uh, COVID doesn't exist right now, and you're able to sit in the restaurant, and, and you're at the restaurant with somebody that you you know enjoy their company, and you order a delicious gua uh, guacamole bacon cheeseburger with a side of crispy french fries. I mean, your mouth is just watering as you start to order this, this guacamole bacon cheeseburger with a side of french fries. Was that a, a, like a pleasurable thing or like a ew? Without the guacamole. Well, uh, this is me ordering here. So, so this is what you order, right? And then you, you, of course, your waiter goes away and you enjoy some casual conversation. And, uh, and then they, they bring out the food and, uh, and they put it in front of your spouse and they put it in front of you. And, and, and what they put in front of you is a, is a bowl of fettuccine Alfredo, which is not a delicious guacamole bacon cheeseburger with a side of crispy french fries. The fettuccine Alfredo looks fine. There's nothing really wrong with it, but it is not what you ordered. So my question for you, wherever you are, Zoom, Facebook, uh, even in the room, what would you do in that moment? If you're like me, most people, right? You, yeah, you'd probably slap your knee. So you'd look at them and be like, look, this is not a delicious guacamole bacon cheeseburger with a side of french fries. There's nothing wrong with this, but could you please take this back and bring me a delicious guacamole bacon and cheeseburger with a side of french fries and maybe a discount because now I got to sit here and watch my spouse eat while I wait for you to bring me my food, right? So, so here's the deal. At a, at a restaurant, what are they going to do? They're probably going to take the fettuccine alfredo, take it back to the kitchen, and they're going to bring you out what you actually ordered. It's the beauty of a restaurant. Um, scenario number two um, is similar but kind of different. Uh, scenario number two, you're at my house. And, and in scenario number two, um, what happens is we uh, prepare the food, Krista and I, usually Krista doing most of the work there, but we prepare the food. And I'd say, I don't know, 80% of the time, the boys sit down and they look at it and they say, I'm not eating that. I won't like it right? 80% of the time that happens in my house. And, and, and here's what happens in my house. We say, sorry, this is what's for dinner. You can take it or leave it, right? This is what's for dinner. If you don't like it, you can go make yourself something or you can go hungry for the rest of the evening. <laughs> um, sometimes they even uh, dramatically and emphatically, you know, will we'll push the food to the middle of the table, depending on how moody they happen to be. So, so just a second question for you to engage in wherever you're at. Is, uh, is, is quite simple. Where would you rather eat? Would you rather eat at the restaurant where you uh, are going to put in an order and they're going to bring you whatever you order? Or would you rather eat at my house and you will eat whatever is in front of you or you'll, you know, whether you like it or not? <laughs> where would you rather eat? And I won't be offended if you say I'd rather eat at a restaurant, uh, just to be kind of clear about our expectations. Okay, so, so here's what's happening uh, in this uh, first part of the meal, uh, Luke chapter 14. And, and I'm going to say this in three different ways so we can kind of uh, just try to grab a hold of what Jesus is doing. You might say that what Jesus is doing is he is serving them something that they didn't order. Right? They're sitting down at this meal. It's the longest meal that Jesus has, and he is serving them something that they didn't order. 
Another way to say it is, uh, is that this meal uh, that Jesus is sitting down to is a little bit like eating at my house. <laughs> he puts the food in front of them and says, look, this is what you're going to eat. This is what you should eat. You can take it or you can leave it. Uh, the third way to maybe uh, uh, talk about this is kind of what we said earlier. Um, Jesus is playing the doctor and he's really saying, hey, it's time for you to change your diet. It's time for you to change the way that you eat. And I, in fact, am here uh, so that I can help you change your diet. And so what we're going to see is, uh, is, is three different times Jesus says, change your diet. So, so the first one, uh, the, the first verses, right? Jesus says, change your diet. Change the way that you Sabbath. Change the way that you do Sabbath. Sabbath is that day of rest. Uh, it's as old as, as, as Genesis chapter 2. Right? It, it is an extremely old and, and, and really important uh, biblical concept. Uh, Sabbath is that day of rest. There's a lot that you can say about Sabbath. But uh, right here in this chapter, uh, it seems like Jesus is saying that the Sabbath is really about rescue. If you see what Jesus does and you're looking at the examples that he gives, he seems to be saying that Sabbath is about rescue. It's a 24-hour period, right, one day a week where uh, uh, God has set it aside so that you can take the time to remember that, that God is powerful, that God is really big, and that he has the power and the ability to rescue us. He rescues us from the, from the, from the labor and demands of our work. He rescues us from the, from the stresses and the struggles of the world. Uh, he rescues us. It's, that's what the, the, the point of the Sabbath is. It's a God who rescues and a chance to remember that. And so, so Jesus is trying to say, look, that's where your focus should be. Your focus should be on a God who rescues you. The Pharisees, of course, are not focused on the rescue. <laughs> uh, the Pharisees are focused on the law. Now, notice what Jesus says. He says, is it lawful, right? Uh, he's asking them a question, but, but that sort of draws out the focus of the Pharisees. They're focused on the law, on the rules of the Sabbath, which means they're really focused on their own performance of the Sabbath and keeping it, right, so that they can please God. So where is their focus on the Sabbath? It's really right here on themselves, right? It's an incredibly kind of selfish focus on the Sabbath. They're focused on doing it right. They're focused on themselves. And, and Jesus knows it's always better to, to focus on God and who he is and what he does. It's always better to focus on God. And so he, he, he sits down and he says, hey, look, it's time to change your diet, and we have to admit that this is not just their issue, right? This is our issue. <laughs> and we maybe are not so much focused on the rules. We, we, tend, to, we tend to do this thing where we, um, where, where we sort of make the Sabbath, uh, you know, this is my one day off to do whatever I want. It's my one day to sleep in. It's my one day to do nothing. But, but we really then lose the focus on God and who he is and what he has done and his desire to rescue me and all of creation. And so this is not just their issue, but our issue. Change your 
diet. The, the second thing uh, that, that we see here is the next kind of big section. He says, change your diet. And this is really change your position. Uh, he, he's drawing out for them. He says uh, that, that they want or they desire to sit in the seat of honor, right? They, they desire to sit in the best seat. And he's trying to tell them, not to do that, right? Don't take the best seat, the seat of honor. And, and, and he gives some reasons why. Right here in chapter 14, he offers one specific uh, a, a reason. He, he says that taking the best seat might mean that you get humiliated in the end. You, you just might get embarrassed. It's the reality, right? It's just sage wisdom and advice. If you walk in and you sit at the seat of honor and you sit at the best seat, uh, you might think, oh, that seat is for me. And then all of a sudden somebody better than you walks in and somebody more honorable walks in and they come and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you can take that seat way down there that's left. And that's kind of an embarrassing moment for you. And so, so just sage wisdom, wise advice, chapter 14 here, he says, hey, make sure that you take a, a lower or the lowest seat. Uh, if we go even farther, uh, we can uh, look back at, at chapter 11, where we were last week. Uh, Jesus says that taking the best seat essentially means that you are trying to replace Jesus. Now, that's a little bit of a step from chapter 11, so you can ask me about that or email me about that. But, but in chapter 11, he's saying pretty much the same thing. Don't take that seat of honor. Don't take that best seat either at a table or at the table of people's hearts. Because that means essentially that you are distracting people from Jesus. That best seat, that seat of honor is the seat of Jesus. And so if you're trying to take it, then guess what? There's no room for Jesus left there. And so, so Jesus is trying to make that point. Make sure that you leave that seat, that honorable position for somebody else besides yourself. Um, if you go back even further, super interesting, right? Uh, Luke chapter 2 um, uh, basically says that, that taking the best seat can lead to a negative experience of God. Uh, uh, Mary uh, has just found out that she's going to give birth to Jesus, right? The Savior of all. And she breaks out into this joyous song. And part of that joyous song is, is just sort of saying who God is, the, the characteristics of who God is. And what she says is, um, he, God, brings down the mighty from their thrones. That means that if you put yourself on a throne in the best honorable position, then you might experience God sort of negatively as a God who brings you down. Uh, of course, in the, in the next breath, she says that, that he has also exalted those of humble estates. And so if you take that lower seat and that lower position, you might experience God more joyfully in a way that, that raises you up. Uh, last one uh, here in this section, chapter 22, um, uh, essentially says that, um, uh, that, that the Pharisees feared man and not God. So, so they would take that best seat, and the way that you win that best seat, the way that you earn that seat of honor at a table or in the, at, at a table in people's hearts is um, you, you focus on what is pleasing to people, right? And, and you do, and you conform yourself to what is pleasing to people. We're talking about people pleasers, right? And, and it can be exhausting to try to please people enough to earn that seat of honor and to earn that best seat. And so uh, Jesus says, look, you, you probably, uh, you're going to exhaust yourself if you're after that best seat. And, and so he says, look, <clears throat> you need to change your diet. You need to be less concerned about your seat and your position and maybe more concerned about the, the seat and position of, of Jesus himself. <clears throat> and, and again, right, we have to admit that this is not just their issue. 
It's our issue. We also desire to please people so that we can be in that best seat, right? So we can earn that, that seat of honor uh, in people's hearts. Uh, third one, uh, Jesus says, change your diet. And what he says really here is, is why don't you try to get a, a broader view? Why, why don't you look differently at the world around you? Um, he, he mentions how uh, the Pharisees uh, tend to invite only uh, friends and family. So uh, he, the Pharisees invite people that are like them, uh, people that they're comfortable with. Uh, the Pharisees also invite people that can return the favor, <laughs> uh, people that, that have the ability, at least, to return the favor and offer them a meal uh, in exchange. And that's not necessarily bad, but, but Jesus is trying to get them to widen their view, to, to not just invite people that are like them, but also invite people that are not like them. Uh, he, he's trying to get them to, to widen their view and invite people that cannot return the favor. And so Jesus says, hey, change your diet. The kingdom of God includes people of every nation and every tribe and every color and every language. And, and if you don't change your diet, you're going to miss the opportunities for a relationship. You're going to miss the opportunities to be a blessing and, and be the kingdom of God, uh, hands and feet, flesh and blood, right in front of people that never experienced it before. Okay, so, so three things uh, that, uh, that, that Jesus says, hey, change your diet. And, and I'd, uh, I'm kind of curious maybe what stands out most to you. Uh, are you hearing uh, Jesus kind of say to you, hey, I need to change the way that I Sabbath or, or change uh, th- this desire to please people um, or uh, maybe I need to, to have a broader focus as I walk through life. Uh, what is Jesus sort of putting on your heart? Change your Diet, and then uh, the the follow up question is: How are you going to respond to that? <laughs> um, uh, what are you going to do when the doctor comes and says, "Hey, it's time for you to change your diet"? Uh, Want to just kind of give two options here. The the Pharisees essentially say, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, not changing. Don't care." Right? They they take that option, that route. Uh, in verse six, it tells us that they could reply uh, that they could not reply to these things. Uh, they, they didn't say anything, and we know from chapter 15 that they didn't do anything. They, they made no response because they didn't like the changes that Jesus was suggesting. So, so it's absolutely an option, right, for us to do nothing and not change our diet at all. Uh, the, the second option, of course, is to start trying to change uh, one small step at a time. Uh, but, but before you make that decision about how you're going to respond when the doctor says, change your diet, I, I want to just, just ask you to consider one more thing uh, and, and really consider what Jesus is trying to do in this section. And, and I, um, <clears throat> let, let me just read it here. Tom, you don't have to follow me on the camera. Um, it's Luke chapter 14. I, I want you to just see this so you can get a feel for what Jesus is trying to do in this meal, in the life of the Pharisees, but also in our lives. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Uh, I'm not a, a medical expert, but dropsy is this thing where uh, you, you basically have fluid retention. Right? You're, the fluid is building up in your body, and so you kind of tend to swell up. It's typically in the lower half of the body. Again, I'm not a doctor. I just went to, like, Google and, and did Wikipedia thing, right? So, so it's in the lower half of the body usually, and, and your legs uh, tend to swell up. Your 
your ankles swell up, your feet swell up. And my understanding is that as you swell up, then it gets a little bit uh, sensitive to the touch. So it can be uh, or become a, a kind of painful thing uh, as your body retains the fluid and you start to swell up. So, so this man has dropsy and he's in front of Jesus. And just look at this. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And then Jesus took him and what? Healed him. I, I think this is what Jesus is trying to do. Uh, not just for him, but for the Pharisees that he's saying, hey, it's time to change your diet. That Jesus took him and he healed him. And then Jesus sent him on his way. This isn't the only moment that Jesus heals somebody in Luke's gospel. In fact, it's a huge theme uh, in the gospel. Um, uh, way back in chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 17, uh, we're told that Jesus uh, has the power of God on him to heal. Right, right from the get-go, chapter 5, he's got the power of God on him to heal. Twice in chapter 6, the crowd flocks to Jesus, and what does he do? He heals, right? This is not a crowd that's looking to be a bunch of disciples. This is a crowd that's looking for a handout, right? They, they come and they, they want the handout. They want to be healed. They, they want to have their life improved. And Jesus, in his grace and in his mercy, says, okay, I'm going to heal you twice in chapter 6. Chapter 7, verse 7. Um, a man says, just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. This is a deal where Jesus was miles and miles away fr from this guy's servant. And, and the servant was, was really deathly sick. And, and he has this faith and this trust that Jesus has the power and the ability to heal. Uh, chapter 9, verse 2, Jesus sends out the disciples and he says, I, I send you out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal, right? The, the kingdom of God is, a, is all about healing. It's all about bringing restoration. It's all about rescue. Uh, chapter 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers, right? 10 lepers, and he heals each one of them. Chapter 22, uh, the, 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 there's this, uh, the, this guard that has come to arrest Jesus, and, and a disciple takes out his sword and slices off an ear of somebody that has come to arrest Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He reaches down and he heals that man's ear. I'll just read this again. Jesus took the man who had dropsy, and he healed him, and he sent him on his way. This is not just the experience of the man in this story. It's not just the experience of so many people throughout the Gospel of Luke. And it's not just what Jesus desires to do in the life of the Pharisees. Um, the way that he brings healing sometimes is he just points to the sickness, he points to the disease, and he says, look, there it is, change. But, but the other way that he does it is he actually takes the sickness on himself. And so again, this is not just a healing for the man that has dropsy. <clears throat> this is not just the experience of many people throughout the Gospel of Luke. That's not just what he desires to do in the life of the Pharisees. It's what he does for us. By his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus desires to heal all the different broken parts in our life. And he comes and he says, hey, 
change your diet. And when we lack the power and the ability to do that, and when we, when we see just how, how sick we are, we've got a Jesus to turn back to and say, it's by your wounds that I have been healed. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we, uh, we, we thank you for who you are and, and just the power that you demonstrated throughout your life. We, we know that you are a God who longs to heal. Uh, you are a God who, who longs to bring healing and restoration and rescue to each one of us. And so whether it's one of these three things that's in this text or whether it's something else that we kind of sense from you this morning and, and we're, we're, we're hearing you say, hey, look, this needs to change. We just come back to you as a as a savior, as a friend, as a God who heals, as a God who rescues us. And, uh, and we just say thank you. Thank you for healing us through your wounds. Thank you for healing us through your sacrifice. Uh, thank you for using your power to change us from broken to whole. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen.